Perry, and this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woo! Okay. So, we're going to start <laughs> off with some relatable news um, because your girls got like some introspection done to them against well we voluntarily all took the quiz so (laughs) we can't really blame anyone but ourselves yep um so we all took an attachment style quiz and we all (laughs) have the same one surprisingly that so we're all fearful avoidant which when i did some more research is also called disorganized (laughs) get out of town wow fuck you how about that (laughs) Yeah, yeah, which I thought because Hannah took it first and got fearful of winning it. And I'm like, oh, watch me get the same thing. I got the same thing. And I'm like, Lori will have something beautiful because she's married with the normal one. (laughs) When I go over to Lori's house, y'all, it is so nice and normal. It's like a functioning (laughs) family. They have cute dogs, cute kids. The husband is nice and supportive and friendly toward me. You know, I've met some, some of my friends' husbands are like weird and standoffish. Yes, they're assholes. Adam's not. He's a great guy. And we your love kids, Adam. your kids are so dang cute. Pickle. Oh my God. <laughs> and so then she comes up. Oh, I got fearful of what? I was like, what? <laughs> Lori, you're, you're the normal one. You're supposed to be the normal <laughs> I know. One. I'm supposed to be the different one. But you're the horse girl. You're normal. I am just, I am just lucky that I found the one person <laughs> on this planet. I don't believe in soulmates necessarily, but the one person on this planet that can tolerate my brand of weirdness and fearful avoidant attachments style like as the resident gremlin i was fully expecting to have the goblin profile so i'm like yes this tracks i yes. am and i have pretty well decided absolutely like, feral goblin it's fine I'm not dating anymore i think <laughs> i'm officially a spencer and i'm cool with that i i don't I think I'm just going to be by myself for the rest of my life and I'm cool with that. I've made peace with it. I don't care. But yeah, it was just like, so yeah, that then it basically said, yeah, you, you will be that. And here's <laughs> why. And it sat back and laughed at me for every time. I and then it was like, up. can we talk about your do? childhood trauma? And it's like, yeah, wow. I'm like, no, can we? No. Wow. Not, not, today. Well, not on a, what was that? Wednesday or something? Yeah. Yeah. The middle of the just week. Just a random day. Wednesday. And Wednesday me, afternoon, we all were just destroyed emotionally. Right. Like sends this link in the group chat. And I'm like, yeah. what is this? <laughs> well, because, and this is why you cannot like let ADHD people get bored. Yeah. Is because like work was slow. So I'm like, I'm going to Google this. Cause I had been seeing some TikToks about it. So I'm like, let me, let me just see. I don't know. It's so I Googled it, found a quiz, took the quiz. And I was like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, and then there was a TikTok I saw that was like, you know, when you were being traumatized, the people doing the traumatizing knew what they were doing when they did it. And you're like, oh, <laughs> how dare you? you. <laughs> Man, TikTok's changing the world. I'm getting makeup tips that don't it's work. 630 in the morning when I saw that, too. I was yeah, like, I'm fuck like, you, oh, bitch. It came for you. I am not I on that side of TikTok. No, I'm not either. <laughs> I'm on the perfume side. I don't even like perfume. I am deep into the like unpacking and healing childhood trauma side of TikTok, (laughs) and it comes for me on the regular. I mine is cats, and hey, did you know you're autistic? That's (laughs) literally all of mine. And I'm like, I am deep into autistic side. 
And I'm into farm animals because every time I you get all the farm animal videos, I get some great pigs. You get a lot of pigs. Perfume ads. Turn around, Alan. I don't know if you follow that. (gasps) Yes, I I love that one. I went on a turn around, Alan spree earlier. I have a crush on the guy who's like the yeah. He is a little cutie pie. I have a crush on him. I shouldn't because I'm going to be a Spitzer forever, and he's married. He's married. But did y'all see that Alan had to leave? I've been freaking out about that. Yes, I've been sending Alan all the vibes. Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, go on TikTok and look up Turnaround Alan. Yes, we are all fantastic. Yes, Um, and every time I send the girls, like, look at this pig, they tell me I cannot have one. Cannot have a pig. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. (laughs) No, you've got to get a bigger apartment. Okay. This is true. This is very true. And then, but I've been talking about getting chickens. Adam doesn't want chickens, but I'm like. I had chickens. Get I was in 4-H and that was my 4-H was chickens. <laughs> I raised we, chickens. We had chickens when we first moved out to the country when I was a kid. Um, and my dad's not a fan of chickens because you can get uh, lung disease from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they're they're such bastards. But yeah, it's so yeah. fun. But I'm like, but chicken eggs, you know. They remember being dinosaurs and they're not here <laughs> for your shit. Exactly. And I love that for them. No, absolutely. Back when I lived in Tupelo, someone near me, and I lived in in town, had a rooster. I <laughs> had to strangle that rooster. Because when I lived on the, the coast, ten years I lived there, that rooster whooped me up every day. Mm-mm. When I lived on the coast, when I bought my house and moved into my house, um, somebody I still to this day don't know who had a donkey. Because every morning <laughs> when I was leaving to get in my car and go to work, I would just hear it brain its little head off. I'm like, yeah. where is the donkey? And somebody please go give that baby a snuggle because clearly he's going through it. Yeah. yeah. But now going back to the quiz thing, um, there's a, it's one of the most famous Betty Davis moments in all of her movies. It's in All About Eve and it's. I don't know what you would call it. I'm sure someone has an actual name for it, but this is monologue she gives about being a woman and sort of wanting it all, wanting to be a star, wanting to have a a wonderful career, but also wanting to be like a a regular woman, a housewife and all this stuff too. Right. And she has this line where she says something like, I wish someone would tell me about me and me and my best friend, Spencer, we quote that almost every single day because that's why we take so many quizzes and send them back and forth to each other like I just want someone to tell me about me so that that quiz told me about me and about you right it's like when you listen to no doubts return of Saturn album and feel personally attacked personally attacked (laughs) to this day to this day I still feel that way I love that album though all right so that was your off topic yes <laughs> speaking back of to cemeteries cemeteries. sheena's um, got some news yeah i've got two true crime tours at elmwood cemetery coming up in april and in may one of them is saturday april 22nd one 22nd one what the heck am i saying <laughs> the other one is saturday. got distracted by rosie walking across my laptop <laughs> i love rosie and then I have another one on Saturday, May 27th. I think both of these are at 1030. Yeah, they're 1030 in the morning. It says it goes from 1030 to 12. Trust me, I will probably go to 1230. 
unless most people are like, no, I'm hungry. And after I tell you about all the tamale related murders (laughs) that are related to that cemetery, you probably will be hungry, but I will not feed you tamales. You will have to go seek them out yourself. Oh, see, no, I would be feeding them tamales. I'd I'd call the tamale truck. I'm just saying, yes, you need to find a tamale truck and have them park right by the cemetery. Especially like in the middle of the tour where sort of those two are like... I mean, they're yeah. not that close to each other. Actually, so they have some agua fresca. It'd be oh, amazing. Man, that would be amazing. They're gonna make so much money after you talk about they tamales would. for forty-five minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this couple got beaten to death. <laughs> there were some tamales involved. Anyway. I mean, I would. Um, I can. I can see it. <laughs> but yeah. So those two tours are coming up this spring. You can go to ElmwoodCemetery org to get your tickets if you are on eventbrite you can look up elmwood cemetery and you will find them there you can buy tickets that way i would love to see you there um especially if you said hey i listen to cemetery road that would make my life you know that would just yeah we would love it yes um i'd talk about you on the show too so (laughs) there (laughs) um anyway that's i think the only news we're gonna go for um we are going to get to our topic this week, which is Black Excellence, because Woo-hoo! it is Black Yay! History Month. And as usual, I highly recommend you study up on some Black history, because Black history is American history. It's everyone's history. And you don't know the history of this country until you know and understand uh, Black people in this country. It's I highly recommend it, and I know I've said it before. I highly recommend the nineteen or sixteen nineteen project. I haven't watched the show yet because I've been following a murder trial literally every day for almost the last month. So I have not watched you and my therapist. I'm addicted. Our last session, we spent like twenty minutes talking about it. Oh my god! And me and my mom will talk about it for like an hour every. That's the Murdoch murders. Murdoch. Murdoch. Because I love not following some, some powerful white people fall it makes me happy anyway um so i've been watching that every day so i have not caught up with um regular old like tv so i have not watched the 1619 project tv show which is now on hulu um but i suggest you watch it anyway and i really recommend the book the book is just essential reading either way hannah no, Luhu. Luhu yes. is kicking us off this week with a story I'm excited to hear because I, I don't know what either one of y'all are doing for this week. I've changed so, my topic like three times. I know. And <laughs> I remember what you were going them, to do. I heard, and then yes. you changed it. So now I'm like, I don't know what we're doing. Yes. So. Well, and, and so when I was trying to figure out, okay, who do I want to talk about? I didn't want to do one of the big ones. Yeah. You know, the, the people that, you know. Well, I don't know if you're learning about them now because they're erasing it from the history books in Florida and, and certain states. Yep. But I, I really wanted to find something, someone unique that I had never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I did my little Google search. But actually, I want to give credit to the last podcast on the left for this this story this week because mm-hmm. really one of their most recent episodes inspired this in a way, I think. So... And I don't know, Hannah, if you've had a chance to listen, but 
basically their most recent episodes were about Essex, the Essex, the sinking of the whale ship, the Essex in 1820, where a bunch of dudes got their asses handed to them by a sperm whale. And we figured out why sperm whales are called sperm whales. It was tragic and fascinating (laughs) and and disgusting. It's because their brains look like cum. Yes, oh, basically. Well, um, and, you know, my my opinions on sperm whale hunting aside, uh, these, these dudes had to resort to cannibalism to mm-hmm. survive. And Is this there's what inspired Moby Dick. Yes. 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 And Herman Melville know. actually worked on a whaling ship. Yes. yes. They, and, and a lot of the book is based on his experience on a whaling ship. Yeah. Thank you, Marcus Parks. You are my hero. I love that. I love that mate. He does such a good job. Anyway, back to back to this. This is not about them. Although in the heart of the sea, I really like that movie with Chris Hemsworth. I thought it was a. Oh, I haven't. I, I haven't watched it. Wasn't, that because wasn't I'm bad. A, I'm a Chris Hemsworth fangirl. Like I will follow him to the. Oh, ends you of know the earth. me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. no, I love yeah. me some Hemsworth. Man, uh, I I mean that's why I have a six foot tall cutout of him in my living room. Ooh, I am jealous. But anyway, Damn. so this he is not Thor. Ooh, this <laughs> anyway, is not sorry. about him. <laughs> This is about Absalom Boston. Okay. Badass. Amazing name. I know. And I showed you his painting of him. That's the only image of him. He's a badass who became the first African-American to captain a whale ship in 1822. So two years after the exits. That was manned by an entire black crew. Oh, wow. So before we get to that, I want to give you a little bit of his background. So Absalom was born on Nantucket which is in Massachusetts in 1785, just two years after slavery had been abolished in the state. His father, Seneca Boston, was a former slave who worked as a weaver, and his mother was a Wampanoag Indian mm-hmm. named Thankful Micah. Oh, wow. I love that name. I love Ooh. all of these names. Yes. Seneca, too? Uh, yeah. Exactly. So while Absalom would go on to become a well-known and respected businessman and community leader who challenged the status quo, he was not the first person in his family to stand up for basic human rights. That began with his uncle, Prince Boston. Oh. So as an enslaved man, he was forced to sea on a whaling ship. When he returned, he refused to give his wages to his enslaver, um, and he took the issue to court. He's like, I did the work. I deserve the money. And mm-hmm. the jury ruled in his favor, saying, yeah, you deserve your money, and guess what? You also deserve to be free. Heck yeah. Oh, hell so yeah. marked the first time that an African-American was emancipated by jury trial. Hmm. Interesting. Very cool. So during this time, and especially on Nantucket, which of course is where the Essex sailed from, whaling was one of the few industries that a black man could find wealth. So at the age of 15, Absalom joined his first whaling voyage. Being black on a whaling ship was not just dangerous because of the rough conditions, but also if the ship was captured, those sailors could potentially be sold back into slavery. Ooh. But because of the payment scale scheme of a whaling vessel, so every single crewmate, no matter if you're the lowest ranked or the highest ranked, received a percentage of the profits. Hmm. So for a black man looking for an opportunity to make a good living, whaling was a good option, risk and all. Yeah. Um, By his early 20s, he had saved enough money to purchase his first piece of property. He took a break from sailing to open an inn on the island, but returned to sea in 1822 when he was made the captain of the ship, the industry. 
Joined by an all-black crew, the ship returned after six months with 70 barrels of sperm whale oil and every single crewmate alive and healthy. Which, Hell yeah! Go listen to the last pod's episode. No small feat. On the right. Essex. Such a great little mini-series. It, that does not happen. Uh, normally, they're gone for several years. Um, and if they come back at all. Um, so Absalom was like, you know what? We're going to end this career on a high note. I'm going to retire <laughs> from the sea. Yeah. His focus shifted to civil rights and business. Oh. Usually so, when they say they're going to retire, it's that's when the disaster movie starts. <laughs> right, right. So, and no, exactly. Uh, in addition to his inn, he opened a store and used his wealth to help improve the lives of the Black community and the Wampanoag community on the island because there was a very large Native American population. Uh, He helped establish the African Meeting House on Nantucket and founded the African Baptist Society. The Meeting House was one of the first Black institutions in the country, and it was where many of the Black children on the island received their education. Um, Unfortunately, it was just elementary level, but that's where they got. Well, I mean, it's not uncommon i don't think high school was a big thing back then right today it is the only public building built and used by african-americans from the 19th century that still stands on the island Um, it's a national historic landmark and is a part of the museum of african-american history then 1840 eunice ross a black student applied to the only upper level high school on the island which was at that point only open to whites Uh, her application was rejected imagine that however two years later schools were required to desegregate um it only lasted for about a day before the white chads and karens of the time decided no we're not gonna allow colored quote unquote kids to go to school with ours um and so basically the anybody who was pro integration that was on the what was you know the school board they were voted out of office oh wow oh gee that doesn't have any modern parallels yeah you think so five years after this so in 1845 a bill was passed in massachusetts that required the state to provide public education to all students regardless of race the following massachusetts yeah i mean this is all like wow this is cool stuff um the following year which was 1846 absalom's daughter phoebe ann applied for the school and was rejected oh which gave him the ammunition he needed because this you know the a law had been passed he announced that okay i'm gonna sue on behalf of phoebe and eunice because she still never got to go to high school right uh and she was 24 uh the cronies on the school committee knew okay we're fucked this man's got money so he can take us there is a law on the books saying that hey you got to educate your kids so before he filed the lawsuit eunice and phoebe were both admitted to the school 100 years before brown versus board of education damn heck yeah so again there's not much known about his life personal other than what i've shared he did die on june 6th 1855 at the age of 70 so respectable life for a man Mm -hmm. of that time um at the time of his death his home uh, his estate included his home store two additional houses and two additional pieces of land 
Wow. Um, his That's property. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. Um, his property was left to his third wife, Hannah, and his no. two surviving children, Oliver and Thomas. So sadly, it looks like Phoebe passed away in 1849 at the age of 21. No details about that. Um, Just I I found her headstone in the cemetery. So I know that um, she passed before him Um, as so we hold on. Slow down, Lori. So (laughs) even more sad than the fact that his daughter passed before him they were buried in a segregated cemetery the colored cemetery on nantucket and even more sadly his grave was unmarked which is kind of a mystery because the graves of his first wives mary and phoebe phoebe senior uh infant son so he had a son that only lived a day and phoebe ann all have headstones But Absalom and Hannah, his third wife, who passed in 1857, are the only members of the family whose graves are lost to time. Hmm. Still? Yeah. So you know where they're buried, but you don't know exactly where in that cemetery. I hate that. It's, yeah, it's very sad. Um, And it's believed that this may have been due in part to the fact that, you know, around the time of his passing, the whaling industry was in a free fall. So Mm -hmm. maybe there wasn't a lot of money for the family to build a headstone for him. But then when his sons died in like the 1890s, they have a headstone. So why didn't you... It's yeah. very, it's very strange. Well, and you know, I've, I've run across a lot of reasons for that in a lot of my research and stuff. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as, yeah, you don't have the money right then. Or sometimes it's like, I can't decide what I want. And by the mm-hmm. time you do decide your circumstances have changed or yeah. you have passed away. So no one, you know, I mean, there, it could be a lot of things, um, but I hate that. I wish his, yeah. I wish he had a monument. I mean, he's a pretty badass dude and yeah. to, to not have any final spot to, to visit or that to, to leave. What you year know, did he pass? 1855. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So the colored cemetery on Nantucket, that is the name of it. That is its name is yeah. home to not only the black individuals, but also several Wampanoag and Pacific Island peoples. Mm-hmm. There are 152 known graves, with the oldest burial taking place in 1798. Hmm. There is a marker that was placed in 2007 that reads, quote, in 1805, the Nantucket proprietors voted that the Black people may fence one acre of their land, or one acre of land where their burying place is. In 1807, this place was described as the burying ground that belongs to the Black people or people of color. Among those who have found their last rest here are members of the Boston, Pompeii, Ross, Port, Grant, Wheeler, and Carter families, the families of churchmen Arthur Cooper, James Crawford, and John W. Robinson, and four Civil War veterans, Hmm. end quote. Hmm. In 2022, so very recently, Absalom Boston was inducted into the National Sailing Hall of Fame, which recognizes people who have contributed to the sport of sailing. So he is still, his story is still shared. You know, sometimes he's mentioned at the beginning of articles talking about Black History Month, but, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's, that's his story. Um, A very, very cool dude who did a lot for the Black population um, well before 
uh, abolitionist and there was really a big push for that and yeah, yeah. And equal rights and he seems by by all accounts he was very well respected by the community on Nantucket and um it's just sad that there's there's not even a anything for him yeah there's, oh, there's the there was a like maybe just a historical marker up for him or something somewhere right something I mean like I think near a pier or something you know yeah you know there's I think there's information about him in the museum on the island but mm-hmm. I mean that's that's not the same thing as a monument to right. you know right hmm. but anyway yeah, so that yeah that's Mr. Absalom Boston very very that. cool dapper dude name. had double ear pier or double you know hoops in his ears I Heck love yeah. it very badass really cool. that would be a really good like comic book hero name yes. yeah it yes. would <laughs> i yes. love it good job Luhu. thank you okay Anna, you're up okay yep. so the adhd rabbit hole that i went on this this week was a journey so i listened to or i've been doing audiobooks because my attention span is not what it used to be um So I listened to this really great book called Trailed um, by Catherine Miles um, about these two young women who were murdered in um, the Appalachian Trail um, back in the 90s. Um, It was one of the it was going to be one of the very first times that hate crime charges were brought as a result of sexual orientation. Hmm. Um, however, the case fell apart. It was so weird to hear like John Ashcroft being referenced. I was like, Oh shit, I can't do the two thousands again. <laughs> um, their case is still unsolved because the initial person that they had thought it was, wasn't da 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 so on and so forth. But, it and I also made saw some like TikToks about it too. A lot of the premise of Catherine's book is that you know women go into the woods and they're not scared of bears and snakes and falling on waterfalls. The real danger to them is like everywhere else, men. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So um it's being murdered by men, <laughs> you know. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so that really got me thinking about like the outdoors and wilderness and while she talks about primarily you know being a woman in kind of wilderness areas um she also mentioned that it's not necessarily welcoming for people of color either Mm -hmm. so i'm like okay so who were the first people of color to really do this to really do the whole world because she talked about like the hyper masculinity of you know the you know wilderness and backpacking and camping culture and all that Mm -hmm. so and you guys know I'm obsessed with national parks, as yep. that will be where I haunt <laughs> singing Gasolina into eternity. <laughs> so we are going to talk about the first black superintendent of the National Park Service. Oh, and not unexpected. only that, he had so much more than that. This dude is amazing. So we are talking about Brigadier General Charles Young. Ooh. Um, and we're going to start with a quote. The vast majority of this information I'm getting from the National Park Service. Um, so shout out to the National Park Service. W.E.B. Du Bois said about Charles, the life of Charles Young was a triumph of tragedy. Oh, man. As a soldier, diplomat, and civil rights leader, 
Charles Young overcame stifling inequality to become a leading figure in the years after the Civil War. His work ethic, academic leadership, and devotion to duty provided a strong base for his achievements in the face of racism and oppression. He had a long distinguished career as a commissioned officer in the United States Army. So his early life, he was born to enslaved parents who were named Gabrielle and Arminta Young on March 12th, 1864. He's got a birthday coming up in Mays Lick, Kentucky. Maize lick? Yep. Like maize as in corn? No, maize as in M-A-Y apostrophe S. Somebody's name. You know, that's not the first. I, I listened to an episode about uh, the, there, there's a, a monster, Pope Lick monster. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think lick must mean something in Appalachia. It does. I, I don't it know does. what. I can't, I can't remember what they said it was, but yes. So makes sense i guess <laughs> yes <laughs> so he is a pisces man which pisces men are notoriously terrorists but i'm gonna give him a pass you say this is a pisces woman by the way <laughs> yes pisces women are magical creatures pisces men need to be on a watch list <laughs> put Look, that on a t-shirt courtney she said love, what she said courtney love did not kill kurt no she has not yet killed Billy, but I could not blame yes. her if she did either one. <laughs> True. Credit to her for not doing it is all I'm saying. <laughs> so that year, his father escaped enslavement and in February of 1865 joined the 5th Regiment U.S. Oh, we're going to say colored again. Look, we're sorry. Yeah, it's, it's in the it's... stuff. Sometime after Gabriel's enlistment, young Charles and his parents relocated from Kentucky to Ripley, Ohio, which there's a Ripley in Mississippi. So every time I read I that, know. I was like, Ripley? Yeah, there's a Ripley Why are you in going Tennessee, there? too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know what Ripley, it is about the South. just got hit by tornadoes. I week. know. Oh, poor Ripley. All the yeah. trailers. <laughs> You're not wrong. I'm not no. wrong. <laughs> um. So the town of Ripley just happened to be the center of abolitionism in that region. So it was a pretty fortuitous place to land. Charles did great in Ripley. Um, he did wonderful in academics. He learned foreign languages. He was into music. His public education was supplemented with generous amounts of help from his mother, who was educated while she was a slave, a rarity for any slave during those times. Wow, so super rare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a like a daguerreotype of him as a child, which oh wow, oh wow, yeah. you know, daguerreotypes back in the day weren't being taken of too many people, and to have one taken yeah. of a former slave child, I mean, that's right. it was pretty great for him. Yeah. At age seventeen, he graduated with academic honors from an integrated high school in 1881. After high school. Young taught at the African-American Elementary School in Ripley for two years. He would continue to chase his thirst for knowledge while under the guidance of renowned abolitionist John Parker. In 1883, so when he's about 19, his father encouraged him to take the entrance exam to West Point. Ooh. Young scored the second highest on the exam, but was not selected to the academy that year. Gosh, wonder why. Yeah. I can't imagine. 
When the candidate ahead of him dropped out, Young would receive the opportunity the following year. Okay, good. He entered West Point on June the 10th, 1884, to become only the ninth African-American to the attend the academy and the only the third to graduate. Oh, the wow. other two were Henry Ossian Flipper and John Hanks Alexander, who would earn their commissions but would only see short careers in the army. <laughs> Flipper which is a great last name. Yes. Rummed out of the army over controversial and questionable charges of conduct unbecoming an officer. Mm-hmm. In the mid-90s, 1990s rather, his uh, descendants began a campaign to restore his name and clear his legacy. And on February 19th, 1999, President Clinton pardoned him posthumously of those oh, charges. That's cool. Yes. John Hanks Alexander, the other fella, would be a classmate of Charles Young at West Point, and they would serve together at Fort Dukinesque, Dickinesque? I don't know, Utah for four years before Alexander would become a professor at Wilberforce University in Ohio. Young would actually be dispatched to Wilberforce shortly after Alexander died of a heart condition in 1894. Hmm. So three of them at the time one got his name sullied the other unfortunately passed away young yeah so young is is coming out you know he's he's in there as a cadet young encountered the same racial insults and social isolation there we are from instructors and other as other cadets on a daily basis as those before him despite these indignities he would persevere after dreadful first academic year Young was faced with repeating his first year in order to continue his education. He would do so, and he did well over the next four academic years. Um, He received tutoring in uh, engineering, which good for him because Lord knows I couldn't pass engineering. Yeah, same. And he was awarded his diploma and commission in the summer of 1889. Because military leaders would not allow an African-American officer to command white troops... Hmm. The adjunct adjutant general's office waited three months after Young's West Point graduation before assigning him the Ninth Calvary at Fort Robinson, Nebraska. After a year marked by isolation and hostility, he transferred to Fort Duchesne. I don't know these names. I think that's what it is. It sounds about right. It sounds right. Um, he mentored a sergeant named Sergeant Major Benjamin O. Davis Sr., who had become the first African-American to attain the rank of general. Hmm. Between 1889 and 1907, Young served in the 9th Cavalry at Western Posts and rose to the rank of captain. He also taught military science, served as a military attache. I love that word. <laughs> yeah. Fought with distinction in the Philippine-American War and won the praise of his commanders for his troops' courage and professionalism in and out of combat. Hmm. Cool. Very nice. So, in the fall of 1894, Charles Young received a detached service assignment that sent him to Wilberforce, Ohio. Young was planning to take over the planning and eventual teaching of the new military sciences and tactics course, which sounds like fun. Yeah. If you're into that sort of thing, yeah. the original f- source to fill this teaching position, his buddy, John Hanks Alexander, had died suddenly on March 26th. Crazy. <laughs> and so Charles went in and uh, 
took it over for him. So Lieutenant Young built the program to just over 100 cadets, which isn't bad. He also established the Wilberforce University Marching Band. Oh, Okay. I love a marching band. I do too. Love it. Music played an integral part of Young's life, so it was no wonder he would enthusiastically help create the university marching band. And he had actually uh, taught and directed band at Fort Duquesne. Duchesne. Cool. So we love a band geek. We stan yes. a band geek. Yep. Lieutenant Charles Young became one of the distinguished professors, professors, Jesus, <laughs> professors uh, around the university. And by the turn of the century, would become a close lifelong friend of W.E.B. Du Bois. Oh, cool. By April of 1898, Young would move away from mobile force as he mustered up and trained men for potential combat action in Cuba. However, Young had established himself at the university and the surrounding city, and he would frequently return and purchase properties that he would call home for the rest of his life. So that was where he was. It's like those of us who like went to Ole Miss and then go back and retire at Oxford. (laughs) So in the summer of 1903, Captain now, Charles Young would become the first African-American National Park Superintendent when he and his troops were tasked to manage and maintain Sequoia National Park in Northern California. I haven't been there. I'm dying to, though. It looks beautiful. I want to see those big prehistoric trees. Because the U.S. Army was tasked with protecting the national parks in these early years, the Army would send troops to manage, maintain, and patrol them. Young and his troops arrived in Sequoia National Park in the summer of 1903 and constructed roads and trails that other troops were unable to do in the years before them. As the leader of his troops, Young would inherit the title of Acting Superintendent of Sequoia National Park. He incorporated the local townsfolk to assist his troops' effort, and he and his troops' accomplishment from the their summer of hard work were lauded by many throughout the area. So they went in there, they built that sucker up, and everyone was like, God damn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm in 1904, Captain Young became the first military attache to Haiti in the Dominican Republic. Well, okay. Young joined 23 other officers, the only African American among them, and serving in these diplomatic posts in the Theodore Roosevelt administration. Teddy! Yes. <laughs> He won President Roosevelt's praise through an introduction Roosevelt wrote for his monograph on the people and customs of Hispaniola, which is the name of the island that uh, the Dominican Republic is on. I think it's since been changed, but that was what it was at the time. Young's experiences in foreign service and as commander in the Philippines formed the basis of his book, The Military Morale of Nations and Races. From 1912 to 1916, he served as a military attache to Liberia. Uh, he also served as a squadron commander commander against Pancho Villa. Okay. He distinguished himself at the Battle of Agua Caliente. I love the Battle of Hot Water. <laughs> <laughs> During the same period, Young won additional promotions to major in 1912 and to lieutenant colonel in 1916. Gee, I'm tired. This guy's like, I know. I know. He keeps accomplishing. Like, I'm he tired, is like dude. How are you overachieving tired? on a massive scale, and I simply 100%. must respect it. Yes. 
In July of 1917, Young was medically retired and promoted to colonel in recognition of his distinguished army service. Young and his supporters asked for reconsideration of his retirement. To demonstrate his fitness to serve, Young, then 54, made a historic 500-mile horseback ride from Wilberforce, Ohio to Washington, D.C. Sir, his his booty? (laughs) The rawhide. Yeesh. The Secretary of War gave him an informal hearing, but did not reverse the decision. So medical retirement, if you are not military adjacent, so medical retirement is when you are no longer able to be deployed due to medical conditions. Um, It could be age. It could be, um, for example, if you're diabetic and you're insulin dependent, Mm -hmm. because there's many places that the military goes that you don't have refrigeration or access to clean supplies, they can't send you there. Um, So if you no longer become deployable, they will do a military retirement or they sometimes call it a medical separation. Um, So that can happen. But he was like, fuck, no, I want to keep going. (laughs) Though medically retired, Young was retained on a list of active duty officers. During World War I, the War Department, remember the Department of Defense used to be the War Department. Yeah. (laughs) We've changed a few words. Sent him back to Ohio to help muster and train African-American recruits for the war. Days before the November 11th armistice, Young was assigned to Camp Grant in Illinois to train Black servicemen. Shortly thereafter, at the request of the State Department, Colonel Young was sent once more as a military attache to Liberia. While on a visit to Nigeria in late 1921, he became gravely ill and died at the British Hospital in Lagos on January 8th, 1922. Oh, man. Due to British law... Young's body was buried in Lagos, Nigeria for one year before it could be repatriated to the United States for final internment. I'm sure that's like a disease control thing is my guess. And the year after his death, Young's wife and many other notable African-Americans lobbied the U.S. to repatriate Young's remains from Nigeria so he could receive a proper burial on American soil. One year later, Young's body was exhumed and transported back to the U.S. After arriving in the U.S., in New York City, in late May of 1923, he received a hero's welcome. Yay, Thousands good. just celebrated Young's life as he made his way to Washington, D.C. On June 1st, 1923, Char- Colonel Charles Young became the fourth soldier honored with a funeral service at Arlington Memorial Amphitheater before burial at Arlington National Cemetery. Aww. So he was one of the very first. That's amazing. Yes. After... The memorial service. He was buried alongside thousands of other other heroes in Arlington National Cemetery. On November 1st, 2021, Charles Young was honorably and posthumously promoted to Brigadier General. Yeah, he was. General General Charles Young's tomb is located in Section 3, Grave 1730B, not far from where his memorial service took place. Very cool. And it has a very, and because um, your spouse can also be buried with you. Mm -hmm. um, So his wife, Ada Mills Young, uh, is also buried with him. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Wow. Be great. That's a cool guy. So that's Charles mm-hmm. Young. Yeah. Y'all pick some good people this week. Like not your typical people who get shout outs, but they <laughs> yeah. both deserve it. Yeah. It was yeah. like, like I said, I was just like, okay, well, who was, you know, who was the first, yeah. you know, a prominent out, you know, outdoors and wilderness person, you know, yeah. who's African-American. And then this guy's story, I'm like, damn, son. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a piker. <laughs> He's out there. Good Yay. for him. Yeah. No. And, and like, like she has said, man, that, yeah. that story makes me tired. So. I know. Oh. And then a 500 mile horseback ride. I know. No. Man, his booty. And you know, those saddles <laughs> back in the 1900s weren't great. <laughs> Well, we are going to move forward in time a little bit with my story. Let's so. do the time warp again. <laughs> so picture it. December 29th, 1937 in Yazoo City, Mississippi. Oh, Yazoo. Lord. Yazoo. Is this where Oh Brother Where Art Thou is taking place in the background? <laughs> Actually, maybe. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. But yeah, maybe. Uh, I watched that movie recently and it holds uh, I love so that movie. Good. The soundtrack. So oh, perfect. Impeccable. Um, but anyway, yeah, December 29th, 1937 in Yazoo City, Mississippi, Bertha Elizabeth Bowman was born. <gasps> Bertha, Bertha Bowman. Bowman. I love We're it. We're not going to call her that for long. Just hang And on. if she shortened her middle name, she'd be Bertha Beth Bowman. She would. <laughs> Um, her father, <laughs> Theon, was a doctor, and her mother, Mary Esther, was a teacher. Uh, following her birth, the Bowmans moved to Canton, Mississippi. Oh. And the, the Bowmans were a very religious Christian family, and Bertha loved going to church, and she loved the music there. And she seemed to have a really great childhood. I mean, her parents were very successful and, you know, I think she was an only child. So they gave her, not gave her whatever she wanted, but you know, she, they, they loved her deeply. And, um, of course, because this is the South in the thirties and forties, it's not always the best place to live if you are black, um, because everything is segregated. Um, but let's talk for a minute about what was done about some of that oh dear so um in canton there was a catholic church called the sacred heart parish and of course it was segregated um at one point a black man entered the church to pray and we shouldn't be shocked by this a karen a white woman (laughs) called the police on him and had him arrested because he went inside a church to pray a minister in my town in the 90s did that so yeah i'm not surprised what the actual just in my hometown there was a a preacher who um invited a new like new to town black man um to his church and the congregation was like leave or or make him stop coming and so he's like fine then i'm gonna take him with me and he left and started a whole new church anyway yeah yeah. the the black person that he kicked out uh was a seven-year-old girl wow oh my god yeah and and how is that christian how anyway anyway, i can't imagine jesus being thrilled no no um so anyway um the priests at sacred heart realized 
they really needed to reach out to the black community in Canton. And so they called the Franciscan Sisters of La Crosse, Wisconsin to come to Canton and help establish a school for black children. Oh, Wisconsin nuns. Listen, these Wisconsin (laughs) nuns, they take care of business. So them some big nuns too. (laughs) Yeah, the big guns of the big nuns. Um, So four Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration established Holy Child Jesus Mission School there in Canton. The nuns integrated themselves in the Black community. Um, They really kind of became a part of the community, a part of the families, and they promised the families there that tuition would be affordable. And because Mary Esther and Theon wanted to give Bertha a good education, they enrolled her in this Catholic school. And like I said, they were Christian, but they weren't Catholic. And but this move. Completely... So wait, her family's black, and her her daddy was a doctor. Yeah. Okay. Good. Very for them. nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They are very well educated parents, and they wanted the same for her. So, um, this move to the Catholic school absolutely changes the entire trajectory of her life. So Bertha had been raised Methodist, but she fell in love with the Catholic faith, and she really was so inspired by these Franciscan nuns who were running this school and giving back to the community. Yeah, and- I don't fuck with the church anymore, but I love me some nuns. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And at nine years old, she converted to Catholicism. Oh, And at the age of 15, she wanted to leave Mississippi to go up to La Crosse, Wisconsin, and join the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. Good for her. Her parents didn't love this idea because they knew she would be the only Black member of that religious community. But uh, Bertha Bowman, who does not take no for an answer, uh, went on a hunger strike. (laughs) which I kind of love. <laughs> so they were like, okay, we give up, go. She, I think she graduated high school at this point, or maybe she finished it there. I'm not really sure. Um, and it's kind of funny when you hear from the nuns who were at the convent at the time, some of them said she was the first black person they ever met. <laughs> or some of them said they didn't, they, they knew black people, but not like, well, yeah, Wisconsin's so was like a lot first. of Scandinavians. It is. And so <laughs> she was kind of the first black person they ever met. Anyway, she absolutely loves it there and thrives. Um, when she does become a nun, she is given the name Sister Mary Thea in honor, of course, the Mother Mary and her father, Theon. Aww. And Thea literally means God. So this is, I'm telling the story of Sister Thea Bowman. So from here on out, I'm going to call her Sister, Sister Thea. So I know we called her Bertha, but that was, that was her name until then. She went on to attend uh, Viterbo, I hope I'm saying that right, University, where she earned her bachelor's in English in 1965. And then she attended the Catholic University of America in D.C. And there she earned her master's in English in 69 and her Ph.D. in English in 72. Meanwhile, while she's doing all this and being a nun, she's also teaching elementary school at La Crosse. Um, But she did eventually return home to teach at the Holy Child Jesus Catholic School where she went to school as a child in Canton. Um, She went on to teach at her alma maters at Viterbo College and Catholic University, as well as Xavier University in New Orleans. Uh, She absolutely loved education. So she spent 16 years total in education. And one really cool thing about Sister Thea is 
as I mentioned earlier, she really loved uh, black gospel music and black spirituals. And she brought that into the Catholic church, which does not have spirituals. So she did a sister act. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Um, Yeah. um, And she has, if you look her up and you can find her music on most streaming services, she has this amazing voice. It is so beautiful. One of her really good friends was a voice teacher, and he said she could have easily been an opera singer. And when you hear her, I mean, her voice is just clear as a bell. It is absolutely beautiful. And she recorded several albums of spirituals. Oh. And they're they're wonderful. I cannot stress listening to them enough. They are really, really beautiful music. And she became um, instrumental in the publication of a new Catholic hymnal called Lead Me, Guide Me, the African-American Catholic Hymnal in 1987. Uh, This was the first hymnal dedicated to the Black community. Uh, Mm. She was involved in choosing the hymn selected, and she wrote an essay for this hymnal called The Gift of African-American Sacred Song. And in that essay, she described Black sacred music in five ways, as holistic, as in challenging the full engagement of the mind and the imagination, participatory, inviting the community to join in, real, celebrating the reality of the worshiping community, and spirit-filled, energetic and intense, and life-giving, refreshing, encouraging, and sustaining, which I'm like, yes, that's a beautiful way to describe Black sacred music. So as I said, she spent uh, 16 years in education, and then the bishop of uh, the diocese in Jackson invited her to become a consultant for the for intercultural awareness for the diocese. Um, I mean, I I think everyone knows there's just not a lot of black folks in Catholicism, right? Especially not a ton. And so this really allowed her to work more directly with the African American community. Um, She had. I, again, cannot stress looking up her speeches and talks online more because she is an incredible speaker and she gave inspirational talks to a lot of black congregations and she ended up traveling the world um, giving speaking engagements. I mean, all over America and then over in uh, Africa, too. So she's just incredible. Um, When she spoke to her fellow Catholics, she encouraged them to celebrate their differences and to retain their cultures, but reflect joy at being one in Christ. She talked about what it meant to be Black and Catholic. And there's this one beautiful part of a documentary about her, which I'll get to the documentary in a minute, but um, one of her students was a young Black Catholic man, and um, she talked about when she talked at his graduation, um, he, he was thinking about how much he would have to assimilate as a black man in, in Catholicism. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of got to act a little white and all this. Right. And he said she encouraged him. Uh, he said she spoke words of freedom and liberation to me. You can be your beautiful black Catholic self. Aww. Which I thought was awesome. Now, in 1984, things were tough for her. Um, Both of her parents passed away within months of each other, and she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. She began treatments, but she kept her speaking schedule, and her fame grew immensely during this time. Um, She made a lot of trips overseas to, like, West Africa. Um, She made as many as 200 appearances in a year. Um, So she was... She's a busy lady. 
very busy. And, it, and she's so beautiful, even in this time where you can see her health is declining some. Um, she had a bald head, of course, because of therapy. She was thin. A lot of times she's in a wheelchair. Um, but she always has this beautiful smile on her face. And she also um, started wearing traditional African dresses. Um, her fellow nuns said that a lot of people gave her dresses like these and that she felt at home in them. And someone, she's on some TV special at some point, and the interviewer guy's like, uh, you're not in a habit. And she's like, the Sisters of Perpetual Adoration only said you had to wear clothes that were simple, appropriate, and modest. And those dresses fit. Oh, I love that. that. So she, mm -hmm. it, she looks so beautiful in them. She did make, as I said, several national television appearances, too, including two segments on 60 Minutes. Um, there's one fabulous part on one of them where she's doing an interview with Mike Wallace. And she's talking about teaching Black children that Black is beautiful and and encouraging children to look at themselves in the mirror and point to themselves and say, black is beautiful. And he wouldn't say black is beautiful. And she finally got him too. <laughs> you can tell <laughs> Mike Wallace, old white man, Mike Wallace doesn't want to say it, but he does eventually say it. And one of her quotes from that show, which I absolutely love, she says, I think the difference between me and some people is that I'm content to do my little bit. Sometimes people think they have to do big things in order to make change. But if each one would light a candle, we'd have a tremendous light, Aww. which I love because I know I get overwhelmed when I see everything happening in the world. And I think, oh, I can't do anything. But she's exactly right. If we all do just a little bit, we can make a difference. Um, singer Harry Belafonte, we all know him. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he saw the segment and wanted to make a movie about her. Um, there was talk of Whoopi Goldberg playing her. <laughs> um, but that movie never really came to fruition. Um, but in 1989, Boston College gave her an honorary doctorate in religion, which is very Aww. cool. And one of my favorite moments of hers... Um, I'm, I'm just going to pause and say one more time for the love of everything holy, which I shouldn't say, I guess, when I'm talking about a nun. <laughs> talking about a nun. <laughs> I know. Look her up because she is so charismatic. Like, I'm not a big, like, organized religion person, but when I watch her speak or sing, I just want to watch more. She's just, she just draws you in. She's got this beautiful warmth about her. And you're just like, yes, whatever you say, I'm believe, I'm here for it. Like I get religious when I watch her because I'm like, yes, I, I can feel what you're feeling. This is cool. Anyway, also in 1989, and I highly recommend looking up this speech. Um, in 1989, a few months before her death, Sister Thea gave an incredibly powerful speech to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. So the image that you see of this is so powerful because the room is like 99% old white men. <laughs> And here's this tiny little black woman in a wheelchair. And you can tell her hair's kind of growing back in, but not a lot. She she doesn't look, she looks good, but she, you can tell she's a little frail. Um, but she, these men actually listened to her and they were visibly moved. At the beginning, and oh, I get chills every time I watch this because I've watched it several times. She tells the bishops that she's going to tell them what it's like to be black in the church. And she starts singing, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. No. I mean, just, she's like, I'm going to tell you what it's like. And then she starts singing and you're just like blown away. 
Um, she encouraged the bishops to continue to reach out to the Black community and to understand the necessity of Catholic schools in the African-American community. And when she finished, and this is <laughs> one priest jokes that this was her first miracle, she encouraged all of these, again, old white men bishops to stand up, link arms, and sing We Shall Overcome. And no. they do. It, it's amazing. It is truly amazing to see. So Sister Thea Bowman born Bertha Bowman, died on March 30th, 1990 in Canton, Mississippi from breast cancer, and she was just 52. Aww. Uh Less than a week before her death, the University of Notre Dame announced that Sister Thea would receive the 1990 Latar Medal. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm not a Catholic. This I is, was, and I have no idea what it is. <laughs> it's the highest award given to Catholics for, quote, distinctively Catholic contribution in his or her professional or intellectual life. Oh. And it was awarded posthumously at the 1990 commencement ceremonies. Um, since her passing, her albums have been re-released. And like I said, you can hear them on uh, a lot of streaming channels. Um, and she's been recognized with a zillion awards and honors boston college instituted the uh, thea bowman ahana and intercultural center uh, ahana i hope i'm saying that right is for african hispanic asian native american oh. and in 2015 they celebrated the first ever thea bowman legacy day and then there's a zillion institutions named after sister thea in colleges and cities all across the nation. There's a Sister Thea Bowman Catholic School in Jackson, a Sister Thea Bowman Grade School in Illinois, Sister Thea Bowman Hall at Loyola, Maryland, Thea Bowman Community Health Center in Detroit, the Thea Bowman Women's Center in Philadelphia. I could go on for days. <laughs> <laughs> in 1989, the Sister Thea Bowman Black Catholic Educational Foundation was established to raise money on a national scale for students of color who needed the funds to go to school, which she saw as a key as a key to raising up black people. She said the mission of the foundation was this walk with us. Don't walk behind us and don't and don't walk in front of us. Walk with us. No. And by 2015, this foundation has put more than 150 black students through college. Love it. Yes. Yeah. It's so um, interesting because like the relationship of especially African-Americans to Christianity is yeah. kind of a colonization in a lot yeah. of ways. So, and the thing I love about her is it's so easy to hear me and think, wow, she must've been a sweet lady. She was, but she could, she was tough. She was tough and she could put you in your place quickly and easily. It's kind of like with Mike Wallace, like, She's going to kind of gently prod you in the right direction, but sometimes she's not all that gentle. Um, some of the people said she could be, you know, a little sharp tongued, but I'm like, but she knew what she was doing and she knows what she's talking about. She's so well educated, so intelligent. And just the way she talks about things, though, it she doesn't come across as so intelligent that you're intimidated by her. You right. she just finds a beautiful way to express what she's thinking. Anyway, I say all this to say, 
Sister Thea has been nominated for sainthood. Yes! She joins the ranks of five other Black Catholics awaiting sainthood. Love uh, it. She gained the official designation as a servant of God, the first of four steps to sainthood. And in 2018, the Committee on Canonical Affairs and Church Government indicated unanimous support to advance her canonization calls. And you can follow her journey to sainthood by visiting SisterTheaBowman.com. And what was sister, her miracle? Um, <laughs> that one guy joked that making the bishops <laughs> sing together was her that first could miracle. Be. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know. Um, I know it's on the website and all that. I have to look. Yeah. Um, but you can come visit her at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis oh, because yay. that's where she's buried. Uh, she's there alongside her parents and another family member. She has a big, beautiful monument. It's huge, and it says um, it says Bowman on it. It's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. And she wanted her epitaph to read, she tried. And that's exactly <gasps> what it says. Aww. Because she said, I want people to remember that I tried to love the Lord and that I tried to love them. Aww. So as you can imagine, Elmwood is super honored and super proud to have a potential saint among its residents oh yes um we feature her on like every tour um even i mentioned her on my true crime tour not because she had anything to do with true crime but i go right past her so i'm just like hey y'all we might have a saint you know here's some niceness to interrupt all of this right you know murder with all the sinners here's a saint (laughs) yeah literally um we often include i know she's on the african-american history tour the music tour and then we have included her in soul of the city in fact this past year a friend of mine was telling her story and um one of the people that came through in soul of the city was like oh i'm a nun i sang with her at one point (gasps) so cool um and last year i was asked to clean her stone because (gasps) the catholic diocese of jackson was coming to elmwood to film a segment for a documentary about her life uh the documentary is called going home like a shooting star thea bowman's journey to sainthood i love that i do too we're getting to that quote too uh it's out now you can watch it on youtube if you search for the catholic diocese of jackson channel and one part that i really love mcduff god he scared the crap out of me he just puts his paw around and like puts his paw on my hand and sometimes it scares me anyway (laughs) he's just making sure you're okay he he's he does this every day while i'm working like i'll be sitting here with my mouth mother mother pay attention to me mom well you do yeah anyway um yeah i was i cleaned the stone um a couple of weeks before they were supposed to come and film and I, i wasn't sure when they were coming to film but then like a couple of weeks later, I was out there cleaning and then I saw the film crew out there and I'm like, let me go around. I don't need to be in the background cleaning a stone. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but there's, I, I love it. I think it's a little over an hour. And one of my favorite parts is where um, some of her peers who knew her very well discussed what Sister Thea would have thought of the Black Lives Matter movement. And one of them said she was one of the mothers of the movement. And another one said, she would have said the slogan is new, but the reality has always been there. No. And I'm like, yes, very, very true. So true. And you can find a lot of her speeches and 60 minutes appearances and things like that on YouTube. Love um, it. There are some amazing quotes by her because like I said, she's just an incredible speaker. Um, but here are a few quotes that I liked. I don't know the context of this, but it's in the documentary and it just, I'm like, this is so true about all of us. 
and how we think about other people. She said, you think they can't dance because you never joined the rhythm of their lives. Oh, and I'm like, whoa, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know who, who we and they are, you know, and all that, but it's so true that if we think other people can't dance, we haven't danced in their rhythm. And I'm like, oh God, she just blew my mind with that. I love it. But when she was asked by a dear friend, um, what she wanted said at her funeral, um, Sister Thea said, tell them what Sojourner Truth said about her eventual death. I'm not going to die. I'm going home like a shooting star. And that's so sweet. That would make such a good epitaph. Yeah, it would. But I also like she tried. Yes, I I I do like that, that too. So that's the incredible Sister Thea Bowman. Well, because there's that's the thing is like there's no shame in trying. No, like no. that's what you have to do is like, yeah. even if you are, that's like with like, I mean, you know, mine is not religious. Mine is like fucking roller derby and shit like that. It's like, okay, <laughs> just try just, yeah. you know, you don't have to get it perfect. You just have to try not to be like that. I'm going to sound like the hang in there kitten or something, but anytime in my life, I've been like doubtful about what I could do. I've just always kind of said to myself, just try. Right. And I've always been successful. So, I mean, I'm not saying I've succeeded at everything because I have not, but I'm saying the stuff that really scared me or something, it's like, just, just give it a try. You might do great or it, you might even not do great. You might just get it done. And that's, well, and that's like the one thing <laughs> you know? I saw. It's like, you know, one of those have Facebook post, you know, things yeah. it's like do it scared. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. The yeah. Carrie Fisher quote. Right. Yeah. Just do it. Do it scared. Do it anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I just, uh, I love Sister Thea. Like I said, I'm, I'm sometimes religious stuff kind of freaks me out a little, like calling each other brother and sister, like feels culty to me. But right. I, think, I think the heart of it, which is the heart of every religion, which is love your neighbor, is a beautiful sentiment. And I, I try to live by that. And there's something about Sister Thea that really speaks to me. And like I said, when you watch her speeches or watch her talk, you just get so drawn in. She's so charismatic and just beautiful, like wildly beautiful woman. And I just absolutely love her. And I think there's so much to learn from her. Um, so, yeah. And if you come to Elmwood Cemetery, trust me, we'll we'll take you by her at some point. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> some way or another. So. That's awesome. Love it. What a cool story, Sheena. Thank you, Aluhu. Um, Like I said earlier, please continue your Black history education, not just this month, but every month, because Black history is American history, and we all need to learn it, because it's still affecting us today. So don't think slavery, oh, it's over and done with. No, it's not. No. (laughs) No. Not by a long shot. Not by a very long shot. Um. Anyway, so yes, learn your history, kids. Um, it's more interesting than you think, which you probably knew that if you're listening to us, I'm probably preaching to the choir. <laughs> Next week, we are going to have some fun. Yeah. Guinness World Record, Record holders. holders. Yeah. I forget what I even called it. I'm like, what is that thing? I, I, I suggested it. I don't even know what I suggested. So I love it. Um, yeah, we're going to have some fun with that. So people who did some record made some records right and died (laughs) (laughs) i love that luhu some yeah i mean records and they died yep hey yep 
So yeah, thanks for tuning in. Lou Who, where can they find us online? We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. Yeah. And we get very excited when you guys yes. do that. So please yes. Yes. Yes, it sure would be nice if someone go leave us a review. Yes. 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 And then tell yeah. your friends and please tell your friends. Yes. Tell them how awesome and cool we are. Yeah. Um, I know Jamie gave us a shout out after we gave yes, this. Yes, after we gave it, it's so keep, it's gonna keep going. Be we're like Jamie. <laughs> yes. Give us a shout out. This is a pro Jamie podcast. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> if only y'all knew Jamie. We should get Jamie on the show. We yes, have to. We need to just a bonus app or something with Jamie. Yes, and just be like, please understand the magnificent ba- magnificent. The fabulousness of Jamie. yes there we go there we and go. then you can explain. guys can get the straight dirt from people who knew us in our 20s yes <laughs> yes and not just yes. our 20s our early 20s very early 20s <laughs> i think i was i still may have been a teenager when we met yeah <laughs> oh geez those were the days i guess <laughs> all right they Thank were so tuning fun. in yeah they were yes all Thanks. right tuning in Bye. 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 What do you want? I know. My. <laughs>